you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14. That song ties in so well to Luke chapter 14 and verses 25 through 33 because in Luke 14, 25 through 33, this is, Luke gives us this picture of Jesus teaching to a multitude of people, to a great crowd of people. And his emphasis, his point that he's trying to make is it costs something to follow me. I love the line of that song, Chris, that says, for from you are all things and to you are all things. I may have got that backwards, but it's you deserve the glory. Well, what we're going to look at this morning is that we focus so much on how things affect us. But if we look at the cross, then we understand the picture of self-denial in Jesus himself so that we could have a relationship with him. And that's something that we're going to focus on this morning. And man, that's I love when those two things line up. I didn't talk to Chris about what songs that he was going to do. Uh, in fact, we met about it Wednesday in our staff meeting, and I was like, dude, I'm just getting ready to preach Sunday. You do your thing, and I'm just trying to get mine done. So we didn't even talk about that, but the Spirit is at work in this place, and, and I'm so thankful for that, super thankful for that. This weekend has been awesome. Uh, we had a lock-in with our students Friday night. Uh, so I've been up. I slept for 20 minutes, and got hazed for sleeping for 20 minutes. Um, I couldn't believe it. I was actually pretty, I was actually pretty impressed with myself. I, me and Landry normally go to bed about 8.30. Uh, we're old souls, but we did that, and man, it was such a blessing. A good friend of mine, Sam Ivey, he's the BSU director at the W. I've already explained what the W is. I'm not going to do that again, but um, it was awesome. Guys, our students heard the truth of Scripture be taught to them, and they were called to respond you can see no fruit of that immediately and still say, what an awesome weekend. Because when we talk about the truth of God's word, we are blessed by that, and that's something that's good. We had our BYOB uh, last night, bring your own beef for our guest. Um, I imagine that could come off the wrong way. <laughs> BYOB, that was awesome. We had a ton of people, and we even had more meat than we had people, and that was awesome. I left almost in a stretcher. But uh, I made it out and made it home alive. But that was awesome. This weekend has been awesome. And this morning is going to be awesome. Not because of me and anything about that. Because of Chris and the cool music that we have and the awesome band that we have. Though we do. It's not awesome because of that. It's awesome because of the truth of, truth of the scripture that we're going to dive into today. I say this every time I, I preach here. Whether it's me or Caleb, it doesn't matter. We're coming from the truth of God's word. So this is what I want us to do this morning. Before we get into that and we start talking about what God has for us in Luke 14, I want to pray and let's just ask God to open our hearts and our minds. It's so easy to be distracted. I'm probably the most distracted person in this room. And sometimes it's just good for me to just ask God to say, just take this away from me. So let's do that. God, we come to you. And Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that we get to be here. I'm thankful God, that I get to be here to preach and teach your word. I'm thankful, Lord, that we live in a place where it really doesn't cost us anything except for our time and commitment to come to church. God, I'm thankful that we're gathered in a place where the highest priority is glorifying you through the truth of your scripture. I'm thankful for that this morning, Lord. It's no secret, Lord, that we walk in here and there are 40,000 other things on our minds. And I just pray very simply, God, right now, that you would just remove those distractions, that you would open the hearts of each 
individual in here this morning. It, it may have been the case that someone's here this morning because it's Sunday and we go to church and maybe that's the only motivation. I pray, God, that you would take that away. And God, that you would open each of our hearts and our minds to see the beauty of the truth of your scripture. God, we love you and we praise you. So this morning, Luke chapter 14 Verses 25 through 33. Um, I'm extremely excited to preach this message to you. If you would have talked to me Tuesday or Wednesday, I would have said, I have no idea how I can preach this message to you. This is something that has, the Lord has been teaching me and impressing upon my heart when we think of the idea of what it cost us to follow Jesus. You think of different opportunities that you have or different scenarios in your life where it may cost you something. Well, fortunately for us, it doesn't cost us much to follow Jesus. It may cost our social standing and our workplace, and, and we uh, may receive flack for being so crazy in love for following Jesus, but no one is burning us at the stake for proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't make it any less difficult for us to sometimes miss what the cost is to follow Jesus. So I want us to look at that this morning. And, and as we get into that, I want to share just a little bit of background. I think it's so important to understand where you're at in time, where you're at in the world. When we look at Scripture, if we just look at it and we read it for what it is, we can pull things from there. But it's, it's important to understand, okay, who was this author writing to? And why was he writing to this people? So when we look in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, and we'll read, the, we'll read the rest later, but the importance of the context is that great crowds accompanied Jesus. So where Jesus is in the world, we know much of his ministry he spent traveling and preaching and teaching. He was going all over the place, and many different crowds of people would follow Jesus. So Luke is, is sharing with these Gentile Christians that would have received this gospel according to Luke. He's sharing this preaching that Jesus gave, and Jesus is, again, traveling on his way to Jerusalem. And, of course, as much of his ministry, there are a bunch of people that are following him. But the, the important thing of what we need to understand about these great crowds that are following Jesus is not all of these people followed Jesus in a salvific way. They didn't follow Jesus. Jesus was an awesome speaker. In this time in history, these people were attracted to that. It was, it was a form of entertainment. Much like us watching football on Saturdays, they would go wherever someone was speaking and they would listen to these people speak. They also knew that this man Jesus could heal them. And if anybody's got any problems and somebody can fix them, we're going to go find that person to fix those things, right? Well, the importance of what we're looking at this morning is that Jesus is saying, hey, my ministry here on earth is more than just healing you or being a great speaker. It's to heal your soul. And what he tells us in Luke 14, as we're about to look at, is that that costs something. And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves, and we're going to look at this as we, as we dig through this scripture, but... I think we focus so much on this is what it cost me. This is what it cost me to follow Jesus. And I think sometimes we forget to remind ourselves that it cost our Savior Jesus much more, at least in our context, than it cost us now. So let's look at that. Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, 
If anyone comes to me and he does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and he wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 men? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What we see in these scriptures is that Jesus says, you must renounce all to follow me. Well, he gives a illustration. He gives two illustrations to show the point that he's making. And then he gives us a command in verse 23. We take this, and this is how we'll kind of break this down this morning, as we see how Luke presents this. And then in verse 33, you say we talk about the cost of following Jesus. And you may ask yourself, what is, what is the cost? How am I supposed to come from this? Well, if you look at verse 33, there's the answer. Renounce all that you have. If you don't renounce all that you have, you can't be my disciple. So for us, we have to give up all that we have and follow Jesus. If you look in verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In verse 26, Jesus begins his teaching where, with a very strong demand. He says, you must hate your, your whole entire family. If you seek to follow me, you must hate your entire family. Now, do you think that Jesus actually meant You've got to hate your family. Kick them to the curb. They don't mean anything to you. No. What Jesus is trying to say, it seems absurd that he would even say this, but he used this term, he uses this term, hatred of your family, as a metaphor. He's not actually demanding that we hate our family, right? Or to hate our own life. What he simply means, the point that he's driving home is that all of those things, this specifically, that we hold dear, should be counted as less than our devotion to Christ. These things should be less than our devotion to Christ. What Jesus is saying is that the family cannot be an idol. And Jesus just in his teaching uses this as an illustration to say everything, if you are a follower of Christ or you're contemplating being a follower of Christ, it comes at a cost. It means that you have to give up every, everything else. It doesn't mean that you can't love your family. It doesn't mean that you can't watch college football on Saturdays. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the things of life that God has blessed us with. But all of those things have their rightful place. And that's what Jesus is talking about, right? It is your rightful place. It's our God-given responsibility to take care of our families but not to a degree that we hold them as a higher priority than our devotion to God. And much of the same theme in the short few scriptures that we're going to look at this morning is saying that exact thing, is that our devotion to God should be held at its highest priority. And for us to be able to do that, we have to be committed. 
We have to be intentionally committed. And that's our first of two points this morning is intentional commitment. In verse 27, verse 27 says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what we see in verses 26 and 27 is Jesus using, as he's teaching to these crowds of people, he is using very strong metaphorical language. He says, to hate your father and your mother, your children, your brother, your sisters, your own life. And if you can't bear your own cross and come after me, then you cannot be my disciple. It's important for us to understand that what Jesus is saying is that the highest priority is that we devote him and be devoted to him above all of the things. I want to look at something here in verse 27. Before we look at and talk about what it means to be my disciple, before, I'm sorry, rather than looking at what it means to bear our own cross, we need to identify what Jesus is talking about when he says, my disciple. So if you, look at, if you just look up the word disciple, it would define itself as a, just a simple a, a follower. But Jesus is specific here. He says, if you want to be my disciple, and what it means to be my disciple is to have a salvific relationship, trusting our life and faith to Jesus, abandoning all like we see the disciples have done, abandoning all to follow Jesus. I had an assignment in seminary a couple weeks ago that, that our instructions were to examine in Scripture, in the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, all the times that it said, my disciple. This is something that I never looked, looked at, and the question for our discussion post was, what is the meaning of the word disciple? Or when Jesus refers to my disciple, or can that word disciple and the word Christian be used as the same? And of course, there was different, differing answers on that, and if we look at the term disciple in some of the ways that Jesus uses it in his teaching. It means that people are simply following him. But we look, when we look and Jesus says, my disciple, this should look like a Christ follower. If we are Christians, then we are following, actively following after Jesus. Jesus uses this illustration because this would have landed for these people. These people were family people, right? Much like we are. They would have loved their family. They would have loved the things that they were able to do. We're no different from them in that sense. But what Jesus is doing, he's urging to count the cost of him being the number one priority in our lives. Then in verse 27, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what does it mean for us to bear our cross for us to answer this question, we have to look at how Jesus himself bore the cross. You see, this entire section of Scripture that we're looking at talks about how we should count the cost. For us to be able to talk about what it cost us to follow Jesus, we first have to understand what it cost Jesus so that we could have a relationship with him. It's no secret as we read through the Gospels of the New Testament of what it cost Jesus so that we could have a relationship with him. What it looked like for him to bear the cross, it meant that he was mocked. It meant that he was beaten. It meant that he was hung on a cross physically and poked and prodded around on so that we could have a relationship with him. I, for me, I, I think that I grow desensitized to the realness of that picture and the fact that Jesus really did endure that 
And when we talk this morning about counting the cost of following Jesus, it does mean that we have to suffer. And I think sometimes we think so much about what we have to suffer. And guys, the culture that we live in, and as we prayed this morning to open up, I'm, I'm thankful that we freely get to be here. But that's not the case for a lot of people. It's not the case for a lot of people that they freely get to gather in a building like this and hear the truth of Scripture be taught. Many people are persecuted in more ways than losing their social status, but in ways of losing their life. And these Gentile Christians that Luke is writing to, the persecution for them was much different than it was for us. But when we think about what it cost us to follow Jesus, we have to remind ourselves the cost by which that came. The picture that we see in Jesus on the cross is self-denial. Jesus suffered on the cross to advance the kingdom of God by reconciling us back to God. What he did when he did this was he bridged the gap so that we could have a relationship with him. And just as he bore the cross and suffered for the sake of the kingdom, when God calls us to count the cost for us in verse 27 to bear our cross, it's the same thing. We have to look at the picture that Jesus has given us in being the sacrifice. And what we see there is self-denial. These Gentile Christians that would have received this gospel, this would have hit different for them. And, and you may wonder, why do we always give you this historical background and information before we jump into a book? It's for things like this right here. When these Gentile Christians would have read take up your cross and follow me. And they read here in verse 27 that whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This would have hit different for them. Luke's gospel is said to have been written in about A.D. 62. This would have been approximately 30, 28, 30 years from Jesus' ministry on earth. So it is likely that some of these people may have even seen some of these things. So when he says who, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This would have hit different for these people. The cost, the point that Jesus is trying to make is that the cost that Jesus took upon himself for us to have a relationship with Christ was one of self-denial. And the point that Luke wants his reader to see, us to see, is that it's the same for us. It takes self-denial, denial, denial of ourselves to follow Jesus. And if we're not willing to suffer for the namesake of Christ, then we can be no true disciple. We can be no true disciple of Christ. It takes intentional commitment to follow him. I, I can't help but to think of all the things that we're committed to. I was having a conversation with some guys at our BYOB last night. We're talking about football, and they caught wind that I was an Alabama fan, and of course they brought up the fact that we got beat by Tennessee. That's every Mississippi State fan's favorite thing to do is when Alabama gets beat. But something that I noticed, we were, we we're talking about football and being interested in sports, and I said, yeah, hey, during college football season, if you call me on Saturday and you want to do something, I'll say you can come to my house, but I will not leave my house because I'm watching football. I'm committed to that. I plan my week, my weekend, around the fact that I want to sit in front of a TV from 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night to watch football. How committed am I, am, to do, am I to do that? It's funny, but it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because I struggle during the week to pick up my Bible for more than 10 minutes. 
or to wake up 30 minutes early so that I can have intentional time praying with God. Not doing it, doing it on the road or doing it while I'm doing other things to be intentional, to set that time apart. I think about that conversation that I have and I'm extremely convicted. I don't know what that thing is for you. It may not be college football, it may be. But there are things that we are committed to that man we will commit to and we will do our best at. Maybe it's your job. God calls us to provide for our families. Money makes the world go round. We have to have it to live in the society that we're in. But is it something that we are more intentional about than we are our own relationship with Christ? I want you to think about that. It's not an option for us to suffer for his name's sake as Christ followers. It's not an option. That's what he's telling us right here in Luke 14, 25 through 33. He says it's not an option. That's why he says count the cost. You're going to suffer. It's not an option for us to suffer. It's essential. It's not an option. It wasn't an option for Jesus, but for us to be reconciled to God, Jesus had to suffer. That was the only way. He knew the cost, and he took it upon himself because he loved you, because he loved me, and he wanted a relationship with you and me. For us to be his disciple, we have to be con committed to him. Not a lazy commitment, an intentional commitment, a disciplined commitment. If we call ourselves followers of Christ, then we wear the tag of true disciple. True disciples, based off of Scripture, are people that are intentionally committed and devoted to following Jesus. Do we do this perfect? No, and we won't, and Jesus doesn't expect us to. But I do think that it's important for us to examine our lives and see what are the things that we hold in high priority I didn't think that I could preach to you this passage. And I can't. Because I have the same issue. For the past four months, devotion to God, that ain't been a thing in my life. That hasn't been a thing in my life. And maybe, maybe you struggle in some of the same ways that I do. But for us to be true disciples, it takes discipline. It takes intentionality to commit to Him. It's a daily thing that has to happen for us. The main point of Jesus' teaching in this passage is clear. To be one of his disciples, we must understand that our devotion to Jesus is to be held at the highest priority. He is more important than, insert the blank. Jesus is not saying that we have to hate everyone and only love him, but rather for our love, our love for him should be greater than it is for all other things. Intentional commitment, I want you to hear this, pay attention. Intentional commitment is sacrificial devotion. And sacrificial devotion requires discipline. Intentional commitment is sacrificial devotion. It costs us something, right? And sacrificial devotion requires daily discipline. For us to be true disciples of Christ, we not only have to be committed but we also must consider the cost of our devotion to Christ. Now, we receive in this message, this gospel according to Luke, would have been written to, do, to, do, to two groups of people, people that knew Jesus and people that didn't know Jesus. 
And if we look at the setting and we look at the picture of Jesus talking to these crowds of people, right? He's, he's saying, count the cost. Well, he's evidently talking to people that are following him for other reasons than faith in him as their savior. And it would have been the same for the people that Luke is writing this to, to these Gentile Christians. This gospel would have circulated all around. There would have been believing people and unbelieving people receiving this word. Well, each of us receive this in some type of way. For us, for those of us that may not have a relationship with Christ, maybe for the first time it's to count the cost, accept the cost and follow Jesus. And for us as followers of Christ, to examine ourselves and see where we aren't counting the cost, where we're allowing other things to be here and Jesus is here. It costs us something. Our second point this morning is costly devotion. As we move into our second and final point, I want us to look at two things. And we've already kind of looked at this, but I want to look at some scripture as we do this. First, I want us to see what our freedom costs in Christ. And secondly, I want us to examine what it costs us to follow Jesus. And if we look in verses 28, and I'll read this again. It says, this is Jesus giving two illustrations to drive home the point that he's trying to make. He says in verse 28, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all, so, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. He gives a second illustration in verse 31. He says, Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet the one who comes against him with 20,000 men? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. He ends in verse 33 to say, So therefore, looking back at what we just talked about, any of you who do not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, hey, before you make a hasty decision to follow me, it's not one of those mere decisions of, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll commit to that. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll commit to following Jesus. It's not that big of a deal. No, it's a huge deal, right? It would be absurd, right? We look at this illustration that Jesus gives, and he says, it's like a man going to build a tower. He sits down, and he says, you know what? I'm going to build this tower. But he doesn't count what it's going to cost him to do that. He gets his foundation laid, and he can't finish it. It'd be like trying to build a house, right? You get your foundation poured, you get your plumbing done, and you say, oh, well, I'm out of money. I'm going to think, boy, that, that's, that's, that's not smart. You must not have thought about what things cost to build that. It's ridiculous, right? It would be ridiculous in that illustration to start and set out to do something if we don't first sit down and say, hey, this is what it's going to cost me. Our context is different. Many of us here are followers of Christ, and we in some way have initially already counted the cost of following Jesus. In a room this size, there's no doubt people that don't have a relationship with Jesus. There are people here, I believe, that don't have a relationship with Jesus. The point that Jesus is trying to make, that Luke is trying to drive home to his audience that he's writing to, the point that we have to receive is that it's for both of us. For those that know Jesus and for those that don't, we have to count the cost. So we look in verse 33. We think about counting the cost. 
as we've said already, Jesus gives us the command. He says, this is how you count the cost. You count the cost by renouncing all. And what it means to renounce all means to give up everything. I want to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. If you have your, well, it should be on the, on the screen up here. You don't have to flip to it. Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22. Matthew, Matthew 4, 18 through 22, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus calling his disciples to follow him. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Look at what they did in verse 22. It says, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now I realize this morning we're taking a huge step back from Hebrews. Hebrews is so full of, of so much theology, so much, so many things that are hard to grasp. And we come to Luke 14, and I would say that we have a pretty simple message. But I think sometimes the simple messages are the ones that we, we fail to spend time on. We, we look over those and say, I oh, know, you know, I get it. I get it. I understand what this means. We take a step back. But I want us to look, as we've just looked in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, I want you to see the response of the disciples. What did they do? What was the word that it, they left immediately, right? They immediately left and followed Jesus. Again, James, I'm sorry, not James, Luke, is using some metaphorical language. Jesus doesn't mean that we have to reject all of the things in life and follow him, but rather make following Jesus the most important thing of your life. If you look at the example that we just looked at in Matthew 4, it may cost you in some way your livelihood. I have no idea what it's going to cost each individual. No one knows. We don't know what the cost is going to be for us to follow Jesus. It may mean that we have to leave what we're doing and go do something else because that's what Jesus is calling us to do. And that comes at a cost. Jesus knew the cost, as we already mentioned. He knew the cost, and he loved us enough to continue on. And I love the example that we see with the disciples. Note that what they were doing was their livelihood. Fishing, that's how they provided for their family. They left that, dropped that, and followed Jesus. Look at the commitment there. Last night is uh, Friday night, rather Friday morning. I guess it was yesterday. It all runs together when you don't sleep. But um, Sam Ivey, the guy that we had speak to our students, uh, he made a comment that I thought was profound. This may not be him, but I heard him say this. He said, the issue, that we, the issue with this is that we are all good with Jesus being our Savior. We're all good with Jesus being our Savior. But things really change. The water gets hot when we talk about Jesus being our Lord. What does it mean for Jesus to be our Lord? It means that Jesus is the boss, owner, ruler of your life. It means that he is here, your wants and desires are here. 
It means that he rules and he reigns over everything. This is not only a one-time thing, but something that we have to discipline ourselves to do daily. If we're going to understand and count the cost of Christ being our Lord, it means that we're going to have to make difficult decisions to go against what our desires are, what we want to do, because it's not honoring and glorifying to God. This message this morning, as we have taken a step back from Hebrews, is is less of full of new information, but full of a ton of rich application. As we kind of wrap up and move into that time, a time of applying what this looks like, I want us to look at what I think should be the main focus of our time this morning. We indeed must all count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to look at that. We have looked at that. And we're going to continue to apply that. But first, I want us to look at what it cost Jesus. We all have to be reminded of what it cost us to follow Jesus. But I think sometimes, I think sometimes we forget to focus on what it cost our Savior. Mark 15, 16 through 20 says this. It says, And the soldiers led him away. This is Jesus going to be crucified, right? It says, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, mocking him, right? And twisting together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his, head with, striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him to crucify him. When we think about the cost of what it means for us to follow Jesus, think about the cost. Think about what we just read in Mark 15, 16 through 20. Our Savior, your Lord, was mocked. He was beaten crucified, hazed for being the king of the Jews. The cost for us to follow Jesus came at a greater cost. As we've walked through this passage, we understand that for us to be true disciples of Christ, we must count the cost of following him and be intentional to commit to his authority and to our devotion to him. This message is not only for the ones contemplating to follow Jesus, but also for those of us that have been following Jesus. Counting the cost and being intentional in following Christ is a daily discipline. So as we have looked at that, as we have looked at what, what, what the passage says about intentionally committing to Christ and our devotion, devotion to him and what it cost us, I want us to look at those two points and apply those things to our life and look and say, hey, how do we leave here? How do I leave here with something tangible to say this is what it looks like for me to count the cost? We have to be committed to him. So what does it look like for us to be committed to Christ, to be intentional about our commitment to Christ? I think first and foremost is to get your priorities straight. What do you prioritize in your life? What's most important? And that takes, guys, that takes self-examination. Maybe that takes you getting into a room alone. Maybe you've been blinded by your sin. Maybe you need to get into a room alone and say, God, what am I putting before you? If you claim to be a follower of Christ, then that first begins with putting him above everything else. So what does it look like for us to put Christ above all of the things? I think it looks like discipling 
I'm sorry, disciplining yourself each day to be in touch with God through prayer and through his word. What does that time look like? God doesn't require you to open your Bible and read for an hour and a half. God requires us to give us, give him our undivided attention. For us to do that, for us to sit down and read our Bibles or to spend time alone in a room by ourselves with no other distractions, for us to spend that time with Christ, it's going to cost you something. It may mean that you got to wake up earlier. It may mean when you come home, you can't just sit down in the chair and turn on the TV. Maybe it means that those things need to take pause for a while. Maybe you need to not do that for 30 minutes and go spend time with Christ. For parents, maybe this looks like taking a stand with your children and their sports teams and their sports endeavors and saying, you know what, we'll play on Saturday, but Sunday, that's our time to go to church with our church family because that's what God has commanded us to do. You know this to be true. We are all products of our environment. Your kids see what you do. Your kids see what you're committed to. We can't be upset when they grow to be 20 years old or 30 years old and you say, I just can't get them to go to church. Was it a priority in the home? It costs something, right? It may mean that your kid is the one that they say, yeah, he ain't going to be here because he's got church on Sunday. What's that mean to you? Does your relationship and devotion to God mean more than whether your kid gets a scholarship to go play somewhere or whether your kid gets to do the things that that they want to do? Again, it's aligning our priorities to making sure that we are investing in our lives personally, not just parents. This is everybody. This is students too. Investing in things that have eternal value because at the end, that's the only thing that matters. Maybe... Maybe it's that we don't give our kids an option whether they want to come to church or not. I just don't feel like I want to go to church. I just don't feel like I want to go this morning. You leave them home. No, if you are their parents, they don't have an option, right? They don't have an option. We can't give those options for all ages. Maybe it's to put the phone down for 30 minutes and spend intentional, disciplined time with the Lord. Maybe it's to clear your phone out of things that are distractions. We live in a culture where those are attached to our hips. We spend more time on those things. I I bet if we looked at our screen time on our phones, we spend more time on our phones than we probably do working at work. Definitely more time than we spend having intentional conversation with our kids or with our spouse or intentional gospel conversations and definitely devotion to God. We apply this by simply exercising discipline. And maybe you're like me, and you struggle with that. I have struggled so deeply with being someone who is disciplined, setting aside things to make Jesus and my devotion and my relationship to God as the highest priority. So what does it look like for us to be disciplined? Maybe it's when we leave here, before you go and eat lunch, you say, I, I, I always go to eat lunch. Well, maybe a good way to exercise discipline is to say, hey, I'm not going to eat lunch until I have spent time talking to my Lord and Savior. Maybe it's when you get home and grabbing your spouse and saying, hey, we need to pray together. 
We haven't been disciplined in our relationship with Christ. Our lack of discipline to Christ and, his, and our devotion to Him, that affects every single facet of everything else that we do. I'll never forget the illustration that Caleb used the one day up here on the screen where we had the filter, right? And we had Jesus, the gospel, pouring through that, and it affects everything else. That has to be the main priority in our lives, and that's how we apply that. All of these points of application are essential in giving up all that we have to follow our Lord. I'm not saying that these things are bad. I'm not saying that sports are a bad thing or doing things that we like. None of those things are bad. God in his love to his creation gave us those things so that we can enjoy, enjoy them, but in their proper place. In their proper place, we can enjoy those things. For those of us that have a relationship for those of us that have a relationship with God it's important for us that that is primary it's important for us to understand what should be secondary to our relationship and to our to our devotion to to the Lord believers when Jesus tells us to count the cost that doesn't mean look at the cost and decide whether you will or you won't but it means that we count the cost, understand that it may cost me something, understand that it will cost you something, and say, I'm in anyways. It's going to cost me something. And for those of you that have been following Jesus, you can ask anybody. They'll definitely say, yes, it's cost me something, but it's worth it. It's not easy, but it's worth it to follow Christ. We continue to apply this by reminding ourselves of the cost by which our freedom in Christ came. That's why we looked at Mark chapter 15, 16 through 22. We have to remind ourselves of that. And maybe for you, it has cost something to follow Jesus. Maybe you're in a time where it is costing you something. Maybe you work in a place that the influence of Christ is the last thing that's going to happen. Maybe it does cost you something to stake a, take a stand. Maybe you can't be in the group of people that's having a conversation and laughing. We all want to be a part of those things. But if, it, but if it's things that are not honoring to God, then it's going to cost you saying, look, man, I just can't, I can't be a part of that. Maybe it costs you taking a stand and saying, hey, this is what I believe, and I just can't be associated with that. That's not a judgmental thing. That's putting your foot down and saying, hey, I understand the cost, and I'm okay not being a part of this group of people. And maybe for you, it, it, it costs you suffering. I have no idea what each of your individual lives with Christ look like. And maybe you, maybe you understand the fact that the Christian life is not easy. And for you, maybe it's tough. Maybe it has been tough. I think of an example of my aunt. My aunt has lost her sister, my mother. She's lost her father, she's lost her brother, and she's lost her mother. She is lost. She is no stranger to what it means to lose someone in their life. She understands that the Christian life is not easy. When you have a conversation with somebody like that, and you see them full of joy after all that they've experienced, you cannot help but to ask a question like, what is wrong with you? How are you like this? It's because of our relationship with Christ. And when I think, when I think of that, the hardness of, of loving Jesus and being committed to him, I think of her. I think of my aunt and how she is still faithfully devoted. I think of this when, when I think about the difficulty of following Jesus. In Luke 
chapter 6, verse 23. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, turn there, but Luke is talking about the Beatitudes, and he says there's, when, when you weep, it's okay to weep because it's going to be turned into laughter. All of these things that he mentions. And then he says, finally, in 23, Luke 6, 23, he says, rejoice in that day. When he's talking about people will hate you. People will revile you for being followers of Christ. You will receive persecution for those things. And it's going to be difficult. But he says rejoice in that day and leap for joy. He says leap for joy for behold your, your reward is great in heaven. It's not easy but it is worth it. It does come at a cost. But we accept that it costs something and we press on anyway. We continue to persevere. So I want to encourage for those in here, for those of us in here that have a follower of, that are followers of Christ. Maybe you're convicted by what we've talked about. Maybe for you, as it is, as, as God is bringing me through this currently in my life, maybe discipline is it's not a thing. Maybe intentional commitment to Christ and time with Him, maybe it's not a thing. But we don't leave here being beaten down by the fact that we don't measure up, right? God never told us that we had to measure up. That's why Jesus was, was sacrificed on the cross so that we didn't have to measure up. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged that it doesn't have to stay this way. And I want to encourage you the same way that Caleb encouraged me as, as Caleb and, and Brother Chris encouraged me as I was walking through this time in my life is be intentional, be disciplined, and just pray and confess those things to the Lord. Confess that, God, I just, I have no discipline. And the only way that discipline is going to come is by you supernaturally creating that within me. But it takes a step, guys. It takes for us to step in that direction, to be committed to following Christ. Finally, the application of this passage for some of us in here may be for the first time to count the cost. Maybe for the first time to count the cost, accept the cost, and follow Jesus. Like I've already said, ask anybody in here that's been following Jesus. They'll definitely tell you that it ain't easy, but they will tell you that it's worth it. Greg, would you put up the first line of thank you, Jesus? I want to read this. This is the gospel. It says, I was a wretch. Read along with me as, as we do this. Not out loud. I'll read it, but pay attention. Pay attention to these words. It says, I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated the breach, and the breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you had me in your sight. Guys, sin separates us from God. There's no doubt about that. For us to come to faith in Jesus, we have to understand that our sin separates us from Christ. But, but praise God, he didn't leave us there. Let's read the next line. He says, so you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. There at the cross, you paid the debt I owed. Broke my chains and you freed my soul. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, it's going to cost you something. That's an eternity 
separated from Christ in a place called hell. A place that's real. Scripture tells us about it. And it breaks my heart to know that there are people here that don't know Jesus. And it's not just a minister's heart. It's the heart of every other believer. We desire for others to come to know Christ because we want you to experience the freedom that you can have in Christ. How beautiful it is. Man, we may suffer for Christ's namesake, but it is so much better to suffer for his namesake because we can rejoice and leap for joy because our reward has yet to come, but it's coming. So if that's you this morning and you don't know Jesus, I hope that you read those words and you understood that Jesus paved a way for you, that you can have a relationship with Christ. And that is my desire for every single person. If I could come around and hit people over the head with a Bible and not be paid for it, I'd be the poorest man on earth. But if that's what worked, that's what I would do. But that's not what worked, right? Because it's not contingent on us. It's contingent on what we just talked about. There at the cross, you paid the debt I owed. You broke my chains and freed my soul. There was an issue. If you go back to Genesis, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. Sin entered the world. We have a problem. How do we fix that problem? We can't fix it. God knew that we couldn't fix it. So he sent Jesus because he knew Jesus could fix it. Jesus was our propitiation. It's one of my favorite words when you think about what Jesus has done for us. Propitiation means that Jesus satisfied the wrath of his Father. He satisfied the wrath of God that you and I deserve. Don't forget that, that you and I deserve so that we could have a relationship with him. Guys, following Jesus is an intentional commitment, but it's not one that's contingent on the good that you do or the bad that you do. So if your hope is in anything other than the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and trusting and having faith in that, then you've got it wrong. Because Jesus tells us that if we will believe in him and believe, this is a belief that is committed. We can believe that there is a God. We can believe that, that Jesus is a thing. Many people believe, his historic, his historians and scientists definitely believe and, and, and can find information on the fact that Jesus was real. But what it means for us to believe is to truly commit. Remember the word Lord that we used. It means boss, owner, ruler. What does it cost you? It means that you give up all of your selfishness, you deny yourself, and you say, God, I want you to be Lord. I want to surrender my life to you and allow you to be the boss, the owner, and the ruler of my life. The expectation is not for you to execute that perfectly, because you won't. I'm standing here telling you that I haven't and won't continue to. I will continue to fail at that. That's the ebb and flow of the Christian life. But it is worth it. And I just want to call as, as, a, as a time of response. If you don't know Jesus, you need to inquire about that. We've talked about, we've talked about that. If you have questions about that, ask somebody about it. God doesn't guarantee you any second left in your day. I think people, people think that pastors and preachers say that to scare people into a decision. No, that's the truth of Scripture. That comes from God's Word. And my heart, the Christian's heart, is for 
every single person to come to know Jesus. So I urge you, gosh, I urge you, if you do not know Christ, count the cost, accept the cost, and follow Jesus. Surrender yourself to his lordship and be freed.